As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. The FIRE movement is a trend amongst young workers, which is growing in popularity thanks to its very enticing goal, which is spelled out right there in the name. FIRE is an acronym for Financial Independence and Retiring Early. The idea is that by following a very aggressive saving and investing strategy, people can get to a point where they're retired at a very young age, sometimes younger than 30. In a world where we are being told that pensions are running dry and the average person may have to work in some capacity for their entire life, this sounds like a bit of a lofty dream. Sure, there are trust fund babies and young tech bros who may earn millions within their first few years in the real world, but surely kicking back on a beach and never thinking about work again is not attainable for a regular wage slave, right? Well, if some figureheads and internet forums are to be believed, well, yeah. Actually, it is pretty much attainable for anybody. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, I am a passionate advocate for the financial independence movement, but that does not mean that I don't see issues with it. Now, many of those issues are glossed over in the sheer simplicity of it, which is also part of the reason why it is so powerful. So long as someone can get to a point where their investments are making as much as their living expenses long term, they have achieved financial independence. Simple as that. Getting to that point is harder for some than for others, but advocates of the movement argue that this difficulty has more to do with personal lifestyles rather than personal incomes. So, what are the mechanics of the FIRE movement? How could someone use it to stop working forever? Is this actually attainable for anybody like they say? And finally, what would this movement do to the wider economy? If everyone strives towards a goal where they quit working at the age of 30, surely this would bring our world to a grinding halt, right? Well, if we can properly explore and answer these questions, we will be able to reveal if this whole thing is grounded in reality, or if it's just a fanciful pipe dream from people who really hate their boss. Now if you are thinking to yourself that the idea of retiring at the age of 30 sounds pretty compelling, the first thing you need to do is really understand how this system works. So. Outside of broad statements like saving and investing, what are the nuts and bolts of FIRE? There are historical figures for a range of very important factors in the economy, which helps us in a sense make projections into the future. The assumptions that are relevant to the idea of FIRE are that a well-diversified investment portfolio should return around 8% per year and that inflation is around 2-3% per year. Some of these figures can change, but With this, we get the foundation of being able to live forever off your investment portfolio. For example, if you had a million dollars invested into a broad market index fund, you would normally expect that over time, the returns from this portfolio would average out to about 8% per year. And for the last 100 years or so, that has been correct, on average. This return would be split up between dividends and capital appreciation. In other words, the rise in price of stocks within the index. What this means is that effectively you would be able to draw $80,000 from this portfolio every year, 
and it would still be worth a million dollars. Now, $80,000 is a pretty comfortable lifestyle for most people in most cities around the world. And while saving a million dollars is obviously hugely difficult, it's not impossible for people with good professional careers, especially if we are looking at dual income households. But there are two factors that make this a little bit more difficult than it would initially seem. The first is that inflation rate. The Federal Reserve Bank of the United States targets a 2% inflation rate. In 1960, the equivalent of an $80,000 salary today was around $5,600 per year. Since the FIRE movement is all about retiring at a very young age and enjoying a long life without the need to work, you should realistically be planning for at least the next 50 years. At a 2% rate of inflation in 50 years time, that $80,000 a year salary that you are pulling from your investment portfolio would only be the equivalent of a $32,000 salary today. I mean, you could still scrape by in a low cost of living area in the United States, but it would be far from comfortable and it might put you in a position where you need to go back to work at the age of 70 after 40 years out of the workforce. Good luck. What that means is that for this million dollar portfolio to maintain its real value, you would need to put back in $20,000 per year to fend off that 2% inflation rate. Not a huge deal, but what that means is that now you are only left with $60,000 a year to live on. Beyond that, some people want a bit of a buffer in their investment growth, so it's normally suggested to reinvest at least 3% back into your portfolio year on year. Alright. So now all of a sudden we are living on $50,000 per year for the rest of our lives and this is before we get to problem two. There is a strategy in investing called dollar cost averaging and it is a really powerful thing to understand. The idea is that the market is erratic and mostly unpredictable, but over time it trends upwards. So if you consistently invest at a set time interval, like let's say once per month, you are going to get the most out of the market for three reasons. Reason one is that it takes the emotion out of investing. If you automatically set money aside and don't think about it, you aren't going to be tempted to buy into the next hot stock or pull your money out at the bottom of the market. Reason two is that it gets your money to work right away. If you hold off from investing for a year until you have done some research on a particular stock or whatever, you will be missing time in the market to generate returns. Since on average the market returns 8% per year, if you hold off investing $10,000, you would already be $800 behind someone who is just dollar cost averaging. Time in the market beats timing the market, as it were. Now the third reason is the most powerful and also the hardest to understand. The key to investing is buying low and selling high, right? Well, by investing at set intervals, you're kind of doing this by default. Which sounds weird, but let me explain. If for example you invest $1,000 a month into Walmart stock, it would depend on the price of the shares as to how much stock you actually buy. For example, if it is trading at $100 per share, you would be able to buy 10 shares. Simple enough. But now let's say the price doubles to $200 per share. Well, at that price your $1,000 a month investment is only going to buy 5 shares, and the same is true if the price drops to $50 per share, where suddenly you're going to be able to buy 20 shares per month. By maintaining a consistent investment pattern, this hypothetical investor has bought more shares when they are cheaper and less shares when they are more expensive, 
giving them a win in at least one side of this buy low and sell high debate. The problem with all of these benefits of dollar cost averaging on the buy side is that they are the same as the drawbacks on the sell side. If someone is drawing $5,000 per month from their portfolio to maintain their living expenses, then they are naturally going to sell more of their shares when they are cheaper than when they are more expensive. For all of these reasons, most people in the FIRE community work around the 3% rule. This rule is created by starting with an 8% expected return and then deducting 2% for inflation, 1% for market volatility, 1% for the impacts of negative dollar cost averaging, and 1% as a comfortable margin of safety. In plain English, what this means is that if you can live off 3% of your investable net worth every year before considering taxes, congratulations, you are financially independent and you will continue to be into eternity all other things being equal. But 3% is not huge. If you wanted to live off $100,000 per year, you would need $3.3 million invested. There are some people that will push this 3% rule to a 4% rule to be a little riskier but retire a little sooner, but the fact of the matter is, to pull something like this off, you still need to be pretty damn rich. The idea that anyone can do this is simply not true but it might still be less daunting than these numbers would suggest. And in fact, there are even tiers of the FIRE movement to account for this. So, how could an average person stop working forever? Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. While making enough money to live forever on $100,000 a year might sound almost impossible, many pundits of the movement argue that this is far from necessary, and in fact, FIRE is more about assessing what you value rather than earning lots of money. If you value material things and want to be able to go on multiple holidays per year to exotic destinations, that's fine. But you are going to have to give up a little bit more of your time and spend slightly longer in a career building up an investment portfolio, if you ever want to retire. Other people might be perfectly content to live in a low cost of living area and pursue low cost hobbies, which means that they will need far less money to be financially independent. What this effectively means is that how quickly you can retire is determined by your savings rate rather than your gross savings. A nurse earning $60,000 per year after taxes and living on $30,000 per year should be able to retire within 16 years at a 3% safe withdrawal rate. A neurosurgeon on the other hand might be earning $500,000 per year after taxes, but after an expensive mortgage, private school fees, exotic holidays and student loans, they might end up spending 
$400,000 per year on their living expenses. What this means is that it would take that doctor 28 years to get to a point where they could maintain their lifestyle indefinitely off their investments. Now both of these instances are the result of personal choice. If the neurosurgeon loves his job and loves his nice things, then well, all power to them. But if they don't like their job, the FIRE movement advocates for properly assessing if you like that new Porsche as much as you dislike six months at work. Now of course, for some people, this math simply doesn't work. You can only lower your living expenses so far before you push yourself into poverty, and unfortunately, the reality is today that a lot of people out there can't afford even a basic lifestyle while still having money left over to save. But for those who can, it's extremely important to think about major financial decisions in terms of opportunity costs, with the missed opportunity being years that you could have spent sleeping in, working on hobbies, or traveling, rather than sitting in an office. Now this is all well and good individually, but on a macroeconomic level, if this idea was to really take off, surely it's not sustainable. How would a world without workers work? We have explored the labor market twice in the last two months, and both times we have found that human labor is very important to maintaining a functioning economy, not to mention a functioning society. This shouldn't be a huge surprise to anybody, least of all all of the people who sit down to watch videos on economics, but what might surprise you is that there could be an alternative. Consider this thought experiment. Someone is working and saving half of their income. With all of that saved money they buy a farm, and then they pay to have a workshop put on that farm, and then they pay to have machines automate the planting and harvesting of crops. They also pay to have a mine with access to basic materials set up, and robots to harvest and refine those metals as well. Finally, their workshop is kitted out in all of the latest technology to allow them to produce anything their little heart desires from scratch. Well, in this example, this person would be completely financially independent, assuming they don't have to pay land taxes. Now this hypothetical is sure to make a lot of ranchers and off-the-grid folks very excited, but it's not too different from what fire practitioners are doing. All of the things our hypothetical worker bought were either land or capital goods, as in machinery or technology that makes making stuff possible. Now in this very direct example, this individual was investing in things that could be used to produce goods and services for themselves. But more realistically, a real person would use their money to invest into things that would be used to produce goods and services for everybody. They would then charge everyone the rights to use their productive capacity in the form of profit, which they would then pay out to themselves as dividends and, in the real world, likely have a company acting to facilitate this. In a sense, financial independence is like crowdsourced off-the-grid independence, using financial instruments to make the process of living off machinery and land more efficient. So. Would a mass uptake in fire practitioners ruin the economy? Well, short term, yes. The drop in consumer spending and rush to financial markets would cause a lot of volatility, but long term it is theoretically possible. We have explored this idea before on the channel in an automated future where capital goods completely replace labour and the factors of production in our video on autonomy. I don't want to repeat too much of that here. But a takeaway was that this capital intensive future could be a utopia, or it could be a complete disaster 
depending on how this inevitable transition was handled. The financial independence retire early movement is certainly not something that is going to be the right fit for everybody. For most people, the cuts to their lifestyle are just not worth the extra few years out of their careers. There is also of course the psychological aspect of not having anything to work towards. Go play a sandbox game with unlimited money hacks turned on and you get the idea of how quickly it can get pretty boring without some kind of challenge. There are theories and suggestions that go a long way to remedying some of these more psychological issues, but again, this is not our area of expertise here at Economics Explained. Instead, from a pragmatic economist's point of view, the FIRE movement's biggest takeaway might be the lesson it gives us in the trade-off of time for stuff. If we start thinking about purchases in the form of how many hours you need to work to buy something, you might be less tempted to splurge. 70 hours of team meetings for that new iPhone, 30 hours working through Excel macros to pay for that new outfit, 10 lame excuses to your boss as to why you were late in order to buy that fancy dinner, well, for some people, it's worth it. But for many people, it isn't. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 